What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler here in the Vivid C studio, and so this kind of sucks. Uh, we were having some major technical difficulties getting Curtis on the show today. We aren't really exactly sure what's going on right now, but we didn't really have enough time to dig too deep into it because we want to get this show recorded and out to you guys as quickly as we could before everyone moves on to next week. So I do sincerely apologize for that, but fortunately... We do have a third co-host, so Charlie was able to join me at the drop of a hat because she's just awesome like that. So she's going to be joining me today, and Curtis will be back on later in the week. Charlie, thank you for being ever so reliable. No problem. And today, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to try something a little different with the recap show. Our, you guys know our, our routine during the season has basically been to record the recap show on Sunday, then a mailbag show on Monday the game preview show on Wednesday, and then the picks of the week show on Thursday. We've been trying to get as much content as we can out to you guys, but one thing that we've noticed over the first half of the season is that a lot of the questions we're getting for the mailbag shows deal with topics like specific to the game we just played and are things that we've already covered on the recaps show. So we're kind of just repeating ourselves. And I know on the mailbag shows with Charlie throughout the season, I've kind of caught myself a number of times saying like, as I said on the recap show, or, or something to that effect. So as to avoid repeating ourselves too much, what we've decided to do this week is to take the questions that are specific to the game we just played against Kentucky and use those to guide our recap of this game. We are still going to run a regular mailback episode every week, but the questions on that episode will be more like the big picture type questions or questions that look forward to our next game. So we're going to give it a shot. If you hate it, then that's cool. Just certainly let us know because we want to make sure to give you guys what you want. But we thought this made sense and are going to go with it, at least for today, and kind of see how this works out. But man, it was a cold, wet, nasty night in Athens on Saturday as our Georgia Bulldogs were able to get back on the winning track with a 21-0 defeat of the Kentucky Wildcats. It was not pretty. It was far from pretty. My wife and I, we stuck it out the whole way. She was a total trooper. Charlie, I know you were there. Did you stick it out the entire game? Jack and I left at halftime. No, you didn't. Yes, we did. No, you didn't. To watch the remainder in the warmth of our own home. You did not leave at halftime. We did. For real? Yep. Wow, what kind of fan are you? It was very cold. It was very cold. It it, it was. And my wife wanted, she wanted to leave too, I think. But I'm probably just a terrible husband, so there's that. But anyway, uh, it was cold. It was nasty. It was wet. It was awful. Uh, it was definitely not a, a hospitable environment. We can say that. And the offensive play, at least in the first half, was about as ugly as the weather. It was 0-0 at the half, no score. Had We had 113 yards, and, and we're only averaging 3.7 yards per play at the half. We had also almost as many punts as we did first downs at the half. Then we had six first downs and five punts in the first half. It was just brutal to watch offensively. So, understandably, the first couple questions that were sent in for today's show deal with what was yet another uninspiring offensive performance. And I'm going to turn over to Charlie here who's going to tell us what our first question is. All right, Tim asks, There was a lot of talk all week about the adjustments that needed to be made on offense after our South Carolina debacle, but I didn't see any adjustments to speak of. The only adjustment that I saw was that we have basically decided not to throw the ball anymore. Was Tim missing something? You know, I will say we didn't see any wholesale changes, but I, I think if you're if, you, if that's what you're looking for, I think you're kind of misguided. We're not going to be making these massive schematic changes to what we do offensively and our, our overall offensive philosophy. Because, And I mentioned this last week, we just don't have time to do that in season. You have 20 hours a week with these guys, and most of that time is taken up preparing for your next opponent. Sure, you, you have time to do some adjustments here and there and work in a few new plays every now and then, but you can't go back and just completely revamp what you do offensively from a scheme standpoint. 
Uh, you don't have time for install. The time for that is spring practice, fall camp. That's when you do all that stuff. Yeah, we can make some adjustments. So it's just not going to be as um, definitive or as dramatic as I think a lot of people want it to be. Like, we're not going to be Oklahoma against Florida. Like, we're not going to come out doing that kind of thing. We might do a few things a little bit differently. We might try to scheme some guys open a little bit differently. But uh, we're not going to see these wholesale changes. But I did see a few things where you, you could see that we're trying to make some adjustments. The, the thing that stood out to me the most was that we were making a much more concerted effort to get the ball in the perimeter in the run game. Now, maybe that was just a one-week game plan specific type deal against Kentucky where we just felt like we had an advantage there on the edges and we thought maybe they were vulnerable outside and so we wanted to attack that. Maybe. But it also might be a sign that our coaches went back, did some self-evaluation, and realized, you know what? We need to do a better job of getting the ball on the edge. Uh, so that remains to be seen. We'll see. We'll, we'll figure that out in the coming weeks. But that was certainly an adjustment. We have not. I, mean, I would say the past couple of weeks, we've been 75% or more inside zone or duo, which are basically the same play more or less. They look very similar. They're just blocked a little bit differently. But they're what the average fan would call like a, an inside run, right? Um, but we were doing a much better job of getting the ball in the perimeter, which I think makes a lot of sense because the guy like DeAndre Swift, who's so dangerous, dangerous in space, and don't get me wrong, Swift can run the ball between the tackles with effectiveness. We've seen that. We've seen him break some. Uh, uh, that plays that start uh, between the tackles like that. But when he gets on the edge and on the perimeter, he is dangerous in space. And uh, we saw that on Saturday to the tune of almost 180 yards rushing for DeAndre, 8.5 yards per carry. So hopefully that is a trend that we'll see continue on the rest of the season. There are also some changes that we made, a few minor adjustments in terms of the blocking schemes, which I know is tough to see. Uh, you know, they're live at the game. But I thought I noticed it during the game. I went back and watched the tape today, and it did kind of confirm some things that I saw. Look, we're still running a lot of zone. We're still running, uh, we ran a lot more outside zone than we did inside zone. Um, but we're still running inside zone. We're still running some duo stuff. But we also ran some more gap scheme uh, stuff as well. And what I, mean, what I mean by that is more like man blocking stuff. We actually ran some old school power with pulling guards, tight ends, where you kick out and you have a, a, a guy leading through the hole there. We haven't done... I don't think we've run that at all this season, to be honest with you, but we did some against Kentucky. So, again, I don't, maybe that was just a, a game plan specific thing, because right now it's just a one game situation where we saw that. But it also could be another sign that our coaches are trying to make some adjustments. And uh, hopefully that's the case. I thought we did a really good job switching up some of the blocking schemes and, and how we were attacking Kentucky on the ground. We're going to, to continue to do that as we move forward the rest of the way. All right. Next up, Alexander wants your opinion on the passing game. He says, I think the easy way out is blaming our passing issues on the rain. But we weren't the only team to play in the rain yesterday, and it wasn't exactly a monsoon in Athens. With our talent and a veteran quarterback, there's no excuse for passing for under 40 yards. What's your take? That's a very fair question. I do agree with you, Alexander, that like, just blaming everything on the weather or all of our offensive struggles, that is kind of a cop-out. But at the same time, I will say... like. It certainly was a factor. It, it wasn't the only factor, but it, it certainly was a factor. It, the 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 rain and the wetness that that is a factor to a degree. It's more so the wind. Charlie, you were complaining. I know you texted me during the game. You're complaining about the wind. How it got chilly. Yes, it did get very chilly. Right, right around halftime, and the wind. What were the you? You're big on the weather. You're you are all over this stuff. Like, what were the wind gusts? You know, you were talking about well, this. It was supposed to be like 35 miles an hour. I don't think it got up to that, but it was very windy. Yeah, especially as we got into the second half. So I do think it was a factor, um, but you're right. It wasn't the only factor. What I think the, the, the biggest issue was that we, our coaches were watching the weather all week long, and they knew just like we all did. They, they were prepared for it, just like we were all prepared for it. 
they came in th- believing that we weren't going to be able to do it very well. Um, and so I think they game plan accordingly. So they, I think that what they looked at is like, okay, look, we're having issues throwing the football right now anyway. And now we have this, this weather situation. Why would we want to throw the football in, in, in this setting? And I get that to a degree because, you know, if you think that we can beat Kentucky by running the football down their throats, which we, which we did, and you don't think that they can score enough on us to, to beat us, which they didn't, they didn't score a point. Then, uh, even though it was ugly and it didn't look very good, and and Kirby, you open yourself up to criticism after the game, having to answer some tough questions, some some questions that annoy Kirby because he was very annoyed at being asked about the offensive performance again in, in the in the post game press conference. He got very frustrated by that, um, visibly so in his response. Um, you open yourself up to some of that stuff, but when when you feel you can run the ball and they can't move the ball on you, why would you, in that in that situation with the weather, start going to the air? I know you want to get our pass. I know we obviously want to get our passing game going, but I don't know if that game was the game to do it with with the weather, the wind, the wet, the rain, all that stuff. And sure, there were some other teams. I know we were all watching the South Carolina-Florida uh, game, and it was raining there, but I will say that, that was at noon. It it been a steady rain, I think, all day. I mean, starting about around five o'clock here in Athens, Charlie, in the morning. Mm-hmm, yeah. I, I mean, all morning. I I actually had to run on the treadmill, which sucked. I was not happy about it. I know, Charlie, you actually braved the, the elements and ran outside. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. Oh, okay. I, you're you're just better than me. It's okay. Uh, but yeah, so I, I wasn't happy about that. So I mean, but I guess what I'm saying is, we had all day for that field basically get waterlogged. Um, and it, it was again. It was, it was at night. It was colder. It was the wind was a factor. So yeah, I, I do think the weather was part of it. it. Wasn't so much that we couldn't do. I think it was just the fact that our coaches didn't feel like we needed to or really wanted to in that situation because they felt like we could win in another way. And I guess it proved to be correct. Um, but yeah, so I don't think it was the only factor. But it, it was it was a factor. And before we get to the next question, I want to make sure to tell you guys about Vivid Seats, the go-to place for all of your ticket needs. You guys know the big showdown with Florida in Jacksonville is just two short weeks away, and we need all the red and black we can get in that stadium. If you're still looking for tickets to the cocktail party or really any of the other big matches we have down the stretch, whether it's Auburn, Texas A&M, even Georgia Tech at the end of the season, Vivid Seats has you covered. I actually just picked up a pair of tickets for the Florida game for my in-laws, and I'm telling you guys, it was as easy and as seamless of a process as I have ever had buying tickets. And the prices and selection, they just can't be beat. You can also feel safe with your purchases as every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. And to make things even better, Vivid Seats has a new loyalty program that allows fans to earn back credits. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the mobile app now and you will automatically be enrolled in the loyalty program. They can't make it any easier for you. And right now, when you are ready to pull the trigger... All new users can receive a discount of up to $100 just by simply using the promo code OVERTIME. All right, next up we've got a question from who? Christopher. Christopher is also asking about the passing game. He says, our wide receivers seem to get some good separation during the game. He feels like the weather, mainly the wind, was a big reason that we didn't pass it much against Kentucky. What's your opinion? Oh, okay, so we already uh, touched on the weather. Let's, let's look at the, the first part of the question. The wide receivers seeming to get some good separation during the game. I, I, I did see some of that. I think when they were asked, I mean, we only threw the ball 12 times. Uh, so when they were asked to, I, I thought they were getting open. But I will also say Kentucky didn't run a lot of man coverage. We didn't see a lot of the same press man stuff that we saw against South Carolina. We saw a lot of zone, a lot of cover three. So, yeah, some guys were open. It was more about finding holes in zones, which is part of getting open. But it it was a different strategy that Kentucky used against us. Like, they weren't getting up in our faces like, 
or as consistently as South Carolina was, and that's what we had all the issues with, just getting off the press man coverage. Um, but we we saw that a little bit, just not as much. So yeah, I think they were open, but again, it's a very small sample size, and, was, and they were covering us in a different way. They're throwing different coverage at us than what we saw against South Carolina. All right. Clayton asks, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your confidence in our passing game after that 35-yard passing performance yesterday? Oh, 1 to 10 is a good question. I don't know. Oh, 1 to 10. Um, you know what? This is probably going to sound a little inflated, especially after what we've seen the past two weeks, but I'm going to go with a 5 because, yes, the past two weeks have been very rough to watch from an offensive standpoint, especially from a passing game perspective, but... I don't think you can completely ignore what we saw the first half this season either. Now, we haven't been a a dominant passing team at any point this year. It's always been a work in progress. We've had good games. I mean, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the game against Kentucky, I thought was the best game Jake Fromm has played as the quarterback of the University of Georgia. And we had some receivers making plays, guys like Lawrence Cager. We need to get Lawrence Cager back in a big way. His health is huge for us moving forward. And I, I don't know the situation. It was the, it was a shoulder. Now he's got some ribs. I'm very hopeful uh, that he'll be ready to come back after the bye week, but I don't know that. That's just me hoping beyond hope. I don't know. Uh, but we've had in, in the second half against Notre Dame, our passing game, I don't want to say won us that game, but was a big reason on why we were able to win that game, hitting some of those big shots on the field occasionally, those back shoulder throws. I mean, we've done it. We've been successful doing it this year. And we have a third-year starting quarterback who's been one of the most efficient quarterbacks in America basically since he took the starting job a couple years ago. So we still have Jake Fromm. And, and so it's hard for me to say, like, you know, uh, one or two when you have a guy like Jake Fromm back there because things are not clicking right now. Let's make no bones about that. And, and, and there's enough blame to go around with the quarterback, the receivers, the play calling, the offensive line at times. Like it, everyone bears some culpability in this, okay? No one's blameless. But when you have a guy the caliber of Jake Fromm, who I believe is going to be a future first-round draft pick, you, it's just it's, it's just always uh, just a little bit away from clicking. And as soon as it starts to click, with the young potential we have with guys like George Pickens, obviously, who's really starting to come on. Uh, we haven't seen as much of him lately, Dominic Blaylock. And let's not forget Demetrius Robertson. He's had a good, solid year for us. And if we can get Cager back healthy... We have enough pieces for this passing game to at least be good enough for us to accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. Now, it hasn't looked that way the past two weeks, so I know that we're all frustrated right now, but I, I don't want it to be like all the, the recency bias where I'm just like my thoughts are completely clouded by what we've seen the past two weeks. So we, we've seen us do a pretty good job in the passing game up until the South Carolina game. I mean, coming to South Carolina, people talking about Jake Fromm as maybe the best quarterback in America, even though he hasn't put up the numbers. Like, from an efficiency standpoint, all the, the metrics out there, the pro football focus numbers, they were saying he was number one, number two in the country in most measures. So, like, that guy is still back there. We still have him. We just got to get things clicking on all cylinders. We got to find a way to utilize our talent more efficiently and effectively, uh, maximize their potential, maximize their skill sets, scheme them up a little bit more. But it, it's it could click any given Saturday. It could click. And when it does start to click, our offense can can be dangerous, can be very, very dangerous. And guys, we were top 10 coming into the game against uh, against Kentucky. Now, with that under 300-yard uh, offensive performance, we're down in top 20, uh, number 20, but we're still top 20 nationally in total offense. So this this team is still very capable from an offensive perspective. We just got to get everybody on the same page, get a rhythm built in, and we'll be okay. So I'm going to stick with a five. All right. Let's change the pace a little bit, and we're going to start looking at the positive with Brad, who asked, who would you say were the offensive and defensive players of the game yesterday? Uh, offensively, I think it's a no-brainer. Uh, I'm going to go with DeAndre Swift. I mean, other guy, there are some other players who did really well, who played really well, but Swift is the one that clearly stands out. 21 carries, 179 yards, two touchdowns on the ground. Was just a man out there. The second straight year, he just absolutely destroyed Kentucky. 
Uh, defensively, I'm going to go with a guy that Curtis, you know, he's been hard, not just Curtis, myself, we've both been hard on him, but I really think he's starting to come along and become more the player that everyone hoped he would be coming out of high school and he was a, a highly rated five-star recruit, and that's Richard LeCount. Uh The issue with Richard's always just been tackling, it's been fundamental stuff, because he's always done a great job covering ground, he's got great closing speed. I actually, I actually think he's been really good in coverage most of his career. But he's become a much more consistent and reliable tackler, and he had some he had some big hits. He had some some plays where he made he made some tackles in open space against Lynn Bowden, who is a very slippery offensive player. So I, I thought Richard played really really well. There are a number of guys that I thought played well. I thought Tate Crowder played really well. He's become a really complete linebacker for us. I thought Malik Herring had an underrated game. You didn't hear his name call much, but just watching him play, going back and watching the replay, I thought he did his job very very well. Devontae Wyatt was creating some some problems on the interior there. So I think there's a number of ways you could have gone with this. Eric Stokes made some plays on the back end uh, on Wagner, their big play threat receiver. But I think it was clearly Richard LeCount who kind of flashed more than anybody to me on the defense side of the ball in this game. Eric wrote in that we didn't see as much of a rotation along the offensive line against Kentucky. Do you think our coaches have settled on a starting five? And if you were setting the lineup, who would be your five starters on the offensive line? Okay, uh, we didn't see as much of a rotation, but there was still a rotation. It's a very fair question. Uh, we did, what we did not see was the rotating within a drive. Like, you know, it's you know first down you have this, these guys in, then third down you bring different guys in. Like, we didn't see that within the drive. We saw from drive to drive, though, we did see some rotations, especially at left guard. We saw, K, I think Cade Mays, you know, I don't think he did. He opened the game at left guard, which was different for him. He's normally a right guard, but he, he's kind of our jack-of-all-trades on the offensive line. We also saw Solomon Kinley at left guard. We saw Jamari Salyer at times at left guard. Mays also moved over, played some right guard at times. So the guard position in general, especially left guard, that's where we're seeing more rotation than anything. So we did see some rotations, maybe not as dramatic as we did uh, last week in South Carolina, which I was very happy. So we talked about last week how it's very frustrating when you are rotating within drives like that. And I know Kirby said last week it was it was due to injuries. I, I mean, I don't know how much I buy that because if, if, if it's due to injury, then why are some of those guys out there? Maybe you're saying they can only go a couple plays at a time, but if it's that bad, like why are they out there at all? I don't know. Um, but if I had to go with my starting five, and I, I don't know that we've settled on a starting five. I don't know that we have, but if we have settled on one, if I was out there picking my starting five, I would go, I love our tackles right now with Isaiah Wilson and Andrew Thomas at center. Trey Hill, actually, Trey Hill has not played well the past two weeks, but I don't know if center is a position you really want to start messing around with it unless like you just don't think he's the guy because the center is, he's kind of like the coach out there for the offensive line, calling out protections and identifying the mic and all that kind of stuff. And it's just tough to mess with the center. Uh, but if if it continues and this poor play continues, and I don't want to say poor play, that's a strong a word choice there. Um, I thought he got dominated at times by Javon Kinlaw against South Carolina physically, but Javon Kinlaw's a beast, and he wasn't bad against Kentucky. I just don't think he was as good as he has been. I don't think he played up to his capabilities. So as long as he can just kind of get back on track, he'll be fine. But if it continues, then we might want to take a look at a guy like Jamari Salyer. But I think that's a you don't want to mess with that position unless you absolutely have to. At left guard, I actually really like Solomon Kinley. I know he has been dealing with an injury, got hurt back in the Notre Dame game. He's been coming back. I think we get more of a push up front with him. Uh, at left guard. I actually think he's an underrated pass protector. I think he's one of our better, uh, probably our best pass protector at guard. So I really like him there. And uh, earlier in the year, I, I was on Cade Mays at right guard. 
I think Ben Cleveland is coming along right now. I think Cleveland uh, is more of a road grader. He's a guy that can get more push there than Mays. Mays gets plenty of push. He's a nasty offensive lineman. I really like Cade Mays, but Ben's a little bigger, a little stronger. And I think actually he's done a pretty good job in pass protection. I, I liked Mays earlier in the year because I thought he was he brought a little more athleticism to the table than Ben did and from a pass protection standpoint. But Mays has had some issues um, in pass protection. And it hasn't been anything crazy, but he's gotten beat a couple times. So if that's happening there, I, I think what Ben gives us in the run game, you know, get that movement up front. I think I would probably go with Ben Cleveland right now at right guard, but Cleveland Mays, either one is fine. But yeah, I guess that's why I go Thomas, Kenley, Hill, Cleveland, and Wilson at right tackle. And we'll get to our next question in just a moment, but first I want to remind you guys about my bookie. Guys, I know it might not feel this way after the last two games, but the SEC East is still very much in play. And a shot at the college football playoff is still very much a possibility. Obviously, we have a huge matchup with Florida and Jacksonville up next in a couple of weeks, but we still got big matchups against Missouri as an SEC East opponent. Got to travel to Auburn. AM's come to town. Then we close things out with Georgia Tech. So a ton of big games down the stretch. And my bookie is the place to go to show just how much confidence you have in our guys down the stretch. Not only do they have sides and totals, but they got quarters and halves, as well as in-game action. And of course, the Bulldogs to win it all. At last check, I know it's a couple weeks away, but we're favored by seven against four. That'll probably go up and down as the weeks go on, but we'll keep you updated here. And that just scratches the surface. We've teamed up with MyBookie this October to give you guys this great offer. All you got to do is go to mybookie.ag, sign up, and use the promo code OVERTIME, and they will match your first deposit. Again, promo code OVERTIME, and new users get their first deposit doubled. Tough to beat that offer, guys. So mybookie.ag, you play, you win, you get paid. Jonathan asks, is it play calling or lack of execution for the early game offensive struggles? He says that it seems to him to be more of the latter, with fans groaning when a play doesn't work, but often that's because someone misses a block. What's your take? Yeah, this is a it's a popular question. You get this from time to time, um, especially when things aren't going well. Is it more of a coaching issue or is it a player issue not executing? And I think the obvious answer is a little bit of both. It, it typically is. It's not just one thing. But if I had to pick one side here, I think it's probably more execution than anything. And look, we have some issues with some of our play calling. And I don't think we do a great job of personnel usage and maximizing the skill set that our personnel has. Like I like James Cook. We have another question about him later on, which seems to be like a, a question we have every single week. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but I think right now it's more of an execution thing. And with, with, like, with the offensive line against South Carolina, like James Coy was not there on the offensive line. He didn't get beat up front by Javon Kinlaw. He wasn't getting thrown around by Kinlaw. That was our offensive line. He wasn't the one out there on the field. I don't I don't remember seeing him out there on the field in pads and helmet, unable to get off press coverage. Now, he certainly could have done things to help our guys get open in terms of what he's calling offensively and, and scheming ways for him to get open. You know, For example, taking a guy like George Pickens and let's move him the slot. Let's move him around. Let's motion him around a little bit. Get him off the line of scrimmage so they can't get any hands on him and get a guy open that way. Run some whip routes, some option routes uh, based off their leverage and, uh, and get some easy completions that way. We're not doing those kind of things, so we're not helping. So coaching is a part of it. But going back to the South Carolina game, it wasn't James Coley who had a perfect pass right off his hands, uh, be deflected for an interception in overtime. James Coley didn't do that. Uh, he has his faults, and he deserves some criticism. There's no doubt there. But right now, I'm going to lean more towards execution than play calling being our issue in some of these early uh, struggles that we're having in these, these most recent games. All right. 
The next few questions are about specific players and their performance or usage. So Alexander wrote, Our usage of James Cook is just awful. The moment you see him in the game, you know we're running one of two plays, either swing passes or jet sweeps. I wouldn't be surprised if he transfers and goes to a school that knows how to use his skill set. What's your take? Yeah, this might be like the third week in a row that we've had a question about James Cook. Um, and I, I, we include this question on here, even though we've talked about it before, because it continues to be a source of frustration, not just for you guys, but for myself as well. It is absolutely criminal right now how we are underutilizing James Cook. Um, and again, going back to what I just said a second ago, one of the probably the biggest issue I have with our offensive coaches, and I, and I, I think like, you can always criticize individual play calls, but I will say this, guys, our coaches have a lot more information to work with than we do. So I, oftentimes I try to refrain from criticizing like, individual play calls because we don't know all the thinking that's going into an individual call. And these guys do this for a living. They know a lot more about it than I do, than any of us do. But I will say, I, I think it's fair to criticize how we utilize our personnel or how we underutilize our personnel. And a guy like James Cook is a perfect example of that. Here's a guy that brings so much to the table offensively in, in terms of being able to go out in space and be a playmaker. And we're having so many issues getting receivers open on the outside consistently. James Cook is the kind of guy that you can line up in the slot or even just out of the backfield. There's a myriad ways you can get him the football, but use him and, and get easy, easy completions where he's out in space, matched up on a linebacker or a safety that he can make miss and turn a five-yard pass into a 20, 30, 40-yard pass uh, and, and, and really spark the offense in a, in a very easy way. Like one of those, like I just mentioned a minute ago, option routes, the whip routes, where you're using the leverage of the defender against them, you basically can't be wrong. You can't, He's going to win those majority of the time. And when we're having so many issues getting the passing game going, it's things like that that can start to spark the offense, get some rhythm, get some confidence, and all of a sudden the offense is picking up first down, staying ahead of the chains, and our offense looks like a totally different thing than what it's looked like the past couple of weeks. But we just can't seem to find any way to get in the ball other than, as Alexander said, he's he's exactly right, either the jet sweep or the little swing pass. And everyone in the stadium knows what we're doing. When we have DeAndre Swift and James Cook in the backfield at the same time, opposite from, and then Cook goes in motion, we are throwing a swing pass. We have not run anything else off of that action all year. I've been waiting for us to run something else off that action, but we haven't. That's what we're doing. We ran that one time against Kentucky, and they snuffed it out from the get-go. They knew exactly what we were doing. They had the outside linebacker, uh, Watson, their best pass rusher, he sent it out. He saw exactly what we were doing. He flies out there. He gets on Warren before Warren can even get his legs under him and makes a tackle there for a loss. If I know what we're doing, you know that coaches that do this for a living, that spend 100 hours a week preparing to play a team like Georgia, they know what's happening, and they're going to get that word to their players. We've got to do something different there. And it, again, it's criminal how we're underutilizing under James Cook. Um, and as to what Alexander is asking there, if he's going to transfer, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, right? I mean, the only thing that might save us there is that, look, DeAndre Swift's not coming back. So there's going to be an opening there. Maybe he feels like he's going to have a chance. He's going to want to try that out uh, or stick it out to see if he can kind of make a dent in the, uh, the actual running back position, not just kind of like this like uh, utility player we're kind of using him as. Um, but right now, I wouldn't blame him at all because there are plenty of other teams and other coaches, offensive coaches, that will use his skill set a lot better than we're using. We'll say that. Um, so, and it would be a loss because James Cook is a major playmaker. We just don't give him a chance to really make plays right now. And it's, it's a major source of frustration for me. And I know it has to be for him as well. All right. Next up, how would you rate Charlie Warner to this point? Seems like he is constantly getting beaten on blocks. I know this is going to hurt you, Charlie. I know. He's not playing. He's not developing as I would have hoped. Yeah. And it's, it's even like, I actually, 
was expecting a pretty big year from Charlie Warner this year. As a senior, finally kind of stepping the limelight as the starter at tight end. We needed him, right? Because like uh, getting Eli Wolf as a grad transfer was huge, but we were we are very thin at tight end right now. I mean, Fitzpatrick's not playing much at all right now. He's still got to gain some weight and become a little bit more consistent. But he's a young guy. But Charlie, I mean, he just hasn't been as much of our a part of our plan, especially in the passing game as I thought he would be. Uh, Wolf has been the guy like, when it's when a third and long situation or a situation where we're trying to throw the football. It's Eli Wolf more than Charlie Warner who's out there in uh, in out there running routes. Uh, but in terms of his blocking ability, it hasn't been consistently bad. There's just been a couple moments every game where he gets blown up, like kind of inexplicably so, because he can do it. He he does it plenty of times where it's like, wow, that was a great block, Charlie. You see that this guy can do it. But there's just those moments where he just gets blown up. And a lot of times what I've noticed when, when he's struggling getting the blocks is out there on the perimeter when he's in space. And guys, that's really tough to do. It's much easier to block in line, but when you're trying to block a guy in space, and especially a guy who might be a little quicker than you, that's a that's a tough thing to do. It's it's much more difficult than it may look to someone who's just watching the game there in the stadium or on TV. But uh, he's got to get better at that because there's been some situations this year where we had some plays dialed up that could have actually been big-time gainers for us, but Charlie missed a block. And again, this doesn't happen. I'm not saying it happens constantly or even consistently, but it ha- it's happening too much for a guy that's played a lot of football for us, who's a senior, who's a leader on this team, and, and a great guy. He really is a great guy. But um, we need a little bit more, I guess, consistency from him in the blocking game for sure. All right. Next up, Witt says, I love that Pickens is getting more and more playing time every week, but why is Dominic Blaylock not getting more touches? He's probably our best receiver after the catch, and I'd much rather see him out there than Simmons or Landers. This is an interesting question. I really appreciate it, Witt. Um, actually, I was talking about this with somebody. I can't, maybe it was my dad. Somebody this week about what I would do at the receiver position. Look, Pickens is, especially with Cager being out, Pickens is our, is our number one guy. He's not completely ready for that yet, but he's the closest we've got to at this time uh, until we get Cager back. If we get Cager back, then Cager's the guy. Cager's playing really well. We need to get him back in a big way. But right now... Tyler Simmons is not giving us anything as a as a like pass catching receiver. He still does a great job as a blocker. That's a big part of our offense. That's one of the reasons he's been able to get on the field consistently. But when it's third and long and we've got to we got to make a play in the passing game, I have very little faith in Tyler Simmons right now. I just I don't. And it's maybe unfair, uh, maybe it's overreaction what we saw last week. But I felt that way from the beginning of the year. Like when it's third down and we know we have to pass, and I see Tyler, I look down, and I see Tyler Simmons out there. I'm like, what are we doing? Why, why is he out there? We don't have anyone else that can give us something more than him in an obvious passing situation. I just, it drives me crazy. It really does. Uh, what I would probably start doing with Cager out, and right now we don't trust Matt Landers. I mean, I don't, I don't remember seeing him play at all. Maybe it was an injury situation that I'm not aware of, but I don't really remember seeing him out there much at all on Saturday. But uh, I would consider trying out D-Rob out wide and moving it out of the slot at times. D-Rob is a better fit as a slot receiver. That's where he fits best. It's kind of like Terry Godwin. Terry was a better fit at slot receiver than he was out wide. We played him outside at times. I think D-Rob's kind of in a similar situation. So when you have George Pickens out there at, uh, at the X position and Cager's not playing and you don't trust Matt Landers and the other option you have is Tyler Simmons out there, I would much rather have D-Rob out wide, even though he's a better fit in the slot. What does Simmons give us out wide when it's an, when we know we're going to have to throw the football that D-Rob can't? Now, Simmons is a more physical blocker than D-Rob. D-Rob is getting better there. So I get in certain, like, you know, in standard downs why you have Simmons out there. But when we want to throw the football, why can't we have D-Rob out wide? Because what that would do is that would open up the slot for a guy like Dominic Blaylock. Because I think D-Rob is more 
equipped to play outside than than Blaylock is right now. He's been he's been the system a little bit longer, so he underst- he has more knowledge of, of what to do. Maybe he, he understands more than just one position. But uh, I would consider doing that. And we did that a little bit with Kiaris Jackson. Actually, Kiaris is more of a slot type guy as well. But he was playing outside some as well on Saturday. So I would look at playing Kiaris and D-Rob out there where Tyler Simmons is playing. And that opens up Blaylock on the, in the slot to where he can really get mashed up and he can run some of those routes against linebackers and safeties where I think he has a major advantage just from an athletic standpoint. So that's something that I would certainly consider. Something you might be on something there, with. And before we move on, I do want to make sure to remind you guys that Today's episode of the Glory UJ podcast is brought to you by CBS Sports HQ, the brand new streaming sports news network. It's live 24-7 and costs you nothing. That's right, guys. It's sports coverage that's always on and always free. And there's so much to love about CBS Sports HQ, but what I love most about it is all the variety it offers you. Every sport, every league, it's all on demand, guys, at all times. And you guys know we're all busy people, and sometimes we don't have time to sit down. I mean, at least myself, I don't have time to always just sit down and watch a full 30-minute or hour-long episode, but I still want the information that I care about. Well, CBS Sports HQ has you covered. Sure, they have 30-minute-plus videos for those people who want that, but they also have the short clips for people like me that give you information on your team that you're looking for when you need it. They have highlights, breaking news, analysis, fantasy advice, and something we all care deeply about here, gambling picks and analysis that give you that extra edge you can pad your wallet with. And I know when I turn on CBS Sports HQ, I'll see the tips and trends I need to win my bets. And don't forget, you get access to all this great coverage completely free. I don't mean free for like a month or a week or you have some special cable package that goes with, it's totally, completely free for everybody. There's no fake debates like you know on some of the other networks, just sports for real sports fans at the great price of completely free. You don't even have to log in, guys, to sign up, anything like that. All you gotta do is download the CBS Sports app on your mobile device, your Apple TV, Roku, Fire TV, or any other connected device at any time to watch CBS Sports HQ today. Next up, Jeff says, we all heard the booing at the game. I would never boo our team or staff. He even caught himself giving dirty looks to those that did. It did get him thinking, though. Other than booing, is there a proper way for fans to react to what we feel like is poor scheme or play calling? I'll I'll give my thoughts on this in a second, Joe. I do feel really strong about this. But what are your thoughts on the whole booing thing? Are you cool with that? Are you one of those people screaming? No. No? Why not? No. I don't want somebody coming to my job and booing me. When you're putting your everything yeah. you got into it? So you're one of the people giving dirty looks. Huh? So you're yes. one of the people, like well, Jeff, giving dirty looks to people. Try not to give dirty well, looks. Well, you give dirty looks just like, it's as natural. a matter of fact. It's, it's kind of what happens, right? Uh, I'm, I'm totally with you, Charlie. I'm with you, Jeff. Um, look, I I don't think I have the right to tell someone how to express themselves. Um, we're all individual people. Do as you please. I'll just speak to you from my standpoint and how I look at this. I agree, Jeff. I would never, ever boo our team. Ever. And for me, like, I'm not saying the play, I'm not saying that it's not merited at some point. I'm not saying that coaches don't deserve to be booed sometimes. Um, and it, I get the frustration because, guys, I, you have to understand, guys, I live and breathe this stuff, okay? There are very few people out there that are more frustrated with what's going on with our offense right now than I am. Like, it's, it's keeping me up at night. I, I just is. I it, it's it's rough, man. Okay, I get the frustration. I get the anger, and I know that we like as fans, we don't really have an outlet. I know there's message boards out there, but you know, you know our coaches have always been very disdainful of all oh, the message boards. You know, the armchair quarterback. 
but that doesn't really change anything. So I think the most vocal way that they can express their displeasure is people boo. They don't know what else to do. How was their other outlet to do that? So I, I get it. But here's what I would say. It doesn't do anything positive. There's no way that it helps our team. All it can do is hurt our team. That's all it can possibly do. And I look at this more than anything from a recruiting perspective. Guys, we had Eric Gilbert, five-star tight end from Marietta, who we're still hotly after right now in, in the recruiting. And we need a guy like him at tight end. Uh, actually, he kind of wants to be a big jumbo receiver, which hopefully he changes his mind there. I don't know, but whatever. We had we had we have big time guys at all these games. That's what Kirby does. He recruits. Charlie, if you recruit sitting there on Saturday night, and this team is playing their hearts out, maybe not playing well, but playing their hearts out, and the fans start booing, what do you feel? What are you thinking? What's going through your head? I wouldn't want to go there. Why would you do that? Because all the other places that are recruiting me, their fans aren't booing their players. Now booing happens other other places. Don't get me wrong, but guys, I'm telling you, recruiting is a blood sport, okay? It is cutthroat. You abs- I can guarantee you that opposing coaches will use that against us. They'll pull up that tape, they got on recording, and they will show that and say, you want to play for a fan base that boos? And that's crazy because our fans are the best in America. We've justifiably earned the reputation as a fan base that supports our team like no other out there. How we're traveling, what we do this team, showing up for, for G-Day, 9-3, K-Day, whatever. All right, but things like that start to tarnish your reputation as a fan base, and, you, and people might not care about that. That's fine, whatever. But it does matter. It's part of the package when you're going out to recruit players. You know, Kirby—that's something Kirby can sell. Like you will not get fan support like this anywhere else. But when fans start booing and you have big time recruits at the game hearing that, I'm not going to say it's going to make up their mind that oh, I'm just not coming to Georgia. But it doesn't help. All it can do is hurt us. So I know you're frustrated, guys, but if you're one that's booing, again, I, I do as you please. I can't tell you what to do. I would just respectfully ask you to reconsider because I don't think it helps our team anyway. And it's not going to change what our coaches are doing, guys. You booing is not going to change our coaches in terms of what plays they're going to call. It's just not going to. And I know we feel helpless out there because we just want so badly for the team to do well, and we don't know what to do when they're not. Trust me, I could against South Carolina, I could not sit still. I was, my seats are on the aisle so I can get up and pace up and down. And that's what I was doing. Uh, at every TV timeout, I had to get up and walk down and just walk around because I just couldn't sit still, man. I'm frustrated, as frustrated as anybody. But I don't think booing helps our team. And I, so I'm going to step off my soapbox here for a second. But I'm with you, Jeff. I'm one of those people that kind of probably gives dirty looks. Uh, and maybe that's, um, uh, maybe I shouldn't be. And that's, that's probably wrong of me. But I, I just don't think it helps. I don't. All right. We're going to wrap things up with a question from Keith, who has a bigger picture question after Saturday's, Saturday's victory over Kentucky. Keith asks, how do you feel about this team heading into the bye week? Okay, so it's not the exact same, but I, I, I feel like there's a lot of similarities in how I feel right now heading into this bye week to how I felt after the LSU game heading the bye week last last year. Remember that, Charlie? I mean, yes. you, were, you were in Baton Rouge with me, right? Uh, you and Jack were there in Baton Rouge. Yes. So I told you guys after that game that I, I was upset at how we played, but I still felt like, you know what? Everything that we want to do is still out in front of us. All we got to do is go out and we got to win football games. If we beat Florida, then we can do this. And it turned out we beat Florida, and we did it. We got to the SEC title game. We are just a couple of drives away from winning the SEC title for the second straight year. I still feel that way. Because think about that after the LSU game. Everyone in this fan base was flipping out, myself included, uh, that, oh my God, there's no way, uh, Florida's going to kill us, Auburn, like, we're, we, we can't, there's just no way, we're, Kentucky's going to beat us, there's just no way we can do this, because it was this that bad of a, of a performance against LSU out in Baton Rouge, and I, now I know the South Carolina game was two weeks, or a week before the bye week, 
but I still have a similar feeling there. Like, I don't think we're as bad as we played against South Carolina. Just like I don't think we were as bad. Obviously, we, it turned out to be true that we were not as bad as we played against LSU. That's not who we were. To this to this point in the season, through seven games, that South Carolina game is still the anomaly. Now, there have been some symptoms of offensive issues at other points. The first half against uh, Notre Dame, was the first half against Kentucky, but that's not necessarily who we are. And we can play much better. We can coach much better. And I just, I, I feel like we're going to come out swinging after the bye week. I really, really believe that. Uh, we're better than how we've been playing offensively. We've, we've put together good offensive performances. Like against Tennessee, I thought we played really well offensively. The second half against Notre Dame, we played really, really well. And actually, I'll say this. I love the fact that there's still a good bit of negativity swirling around right now about our offense. I love that. I know a lot of people look at that and say, oh, that's not good. It's going to destroy confidence. It's a recipe for disaster coming, you know, going into the bye week. I see it differently. I really do. I think that neg- negativity, our coaches can take it and they can use it. Kirby's a master motivator, guys. You better believe he's going to take all these questions he's getting at, at the press conference, all this stuff swimming around on social media, and he's going to use that. He's going to harp on it for two weeks, and our players are going to hear about it for two weeks, and he's going to get them ready to play. I expect us to come out swinging against Florida. It doesn't mean we're going to win, all right? It really doesn't, but I think we have a chance now going to the bye week, all right? to regroup and figure out what we do best in the passing game and how we can better utilize our skilled players. Because when you're, again, like during the week when you're preparing for an actual opponent, you don't have time to do that. You have to spend those 20 hours getting ready to play that team. You don't get to work on yourself that much. During a bye week, you do get that chance to work on yourself. That's pretty much all we'll be working on. Yeah, sure, you know, later in the week this week, probably Thursday or so, we'll start, you know, looking at uh, some Florida stuff and working that a little, little bit into our practices. But before that, we're going to work on ourselves and we're going to do some self-evaluation, some self-scouting, and we're going to figure out ways to attack defenses more in, in, in more efficient and effective ways than we have to this point. So I like the negativity swirling right now. I'm okay with it because I think it's going to, it's, it's going to motivate our players, and they're going to come out ready to play against Florida. And I'm hoping it turns out like it did last year after the loss to LSU and then the bye week after that. We'll see. That remains to be seen. But um, I, I just get some of those vibes, very similar vibes we saw last year. I'm getting that right now. But uh, all right, guys, that does it for us here on the Glory UJ podcast. Really appreciate you guys sticking out with us today. Again, I apologize sincerely for the – Technical difficulties with Curtis. Uh, I'll figure that out after this show, after I get this loaded up. We'll figure that out, and we'll have him back on later in the week. But big thanks to Charlie for coming over on short notice and uh, recording with us today. And uh, we'll be back with our a regular mailbag show later in the week. We're gonna Obviously, we don't have a game preview show, but we're going to try to put together kind of a mid-season report card show for you guys and replace the game preview show. And, of course, we'll have our picks of the week show to wrap things up at the end of the week. But for Charlie, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. And as always, go dogs.